Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben Arnott, and I'd like to welcome you to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast, Australia's first barbecue podcast. This is episode seven of a series that I like to call Comp Ready, where I interview Australia's best pitmasters, builders, butchers, and suppliers to help you be comp ready. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and share it around to spread the love. If you're into competition barbecue, you might be interested in my free ebook, 27 Lessons Learned from Competition Barbecue. I've drawn on my experience as both competitor and judge to offer you exclusive inside knowledge to help you make the most of your competition experience. Head to smokinghotconfessions.com slash comp ready to get your copy now. There's also a link in the description. With me today is Mr. Rowan Peterson from Rowan Slow Barbecue, or as I like to call him, the thunder from down, down, down under, as he hails all the way from sunny, warm Tasmania. The Rowan Slow Barbecue team competes on the mainland, and if I was interested in teasing him, I'd say that this makes him one of Australia's few international competition barbecue teams. But that's not what we're here for today. Today, Rowan is here to talk to us about teams and teamwork, quite possibly one of the most important topics in this series. Check it out. This is the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with barbecue pitmaster Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Welcome to the confessional, Rowan. First things first, what's the last thing that you barbecued? Chicken. We've just come from the Scottsdale show. We've been trying to get a bit of traction as far as low and slow competitions in Tasmania. And, uh, and you know, yeah, not really. I think it's quite popular in Hobart, not so much up and up around the northern part of Tasmania. So, um, yeah, when we approached and kind of, they were, you know, we don't understand what you want to do. You, you want to get 10 guys come out here, camp out overnight and cook barbecue and on fire, on wood-fired barbecues. And, and then they basically came back and said, look, do you want to come out here and do like a demo? The committee members can talk to you and see how it works, et cetera, et cetera. We can talk about it. And at the same time, you know, it'd be good for to get feedback from the patrons to see you know, what they think about it. So, you know, I said, yeah, right, fair enough, no worries. So uh, we were down there for two days, yeah, giving away free chicken, basically. So, uh, yeah, the show gave us a load of chicken. We were just down there on the offset, churning out uh, chicken wings and drumsticks. Sounds awesome. And have they got back to you with the decision yet? Oh, it's all a committee process. So, uh, and the event's not going to be for another year, like this time, 2017, so... The reality is, is there's a lot of a lot of time there, but uh, but it's also good because yeah, like as I was saying in Hobart, they seem to be getting a bit of traction down there. Um, obviously, Jeff from uh, the Tickle Rib has got a uh, competition going in Signet, so uh, that's good, you know. Like, so they, but they've got a bit more traction down there, seemingly. But up north, it's it's kind of the same old, same old. Like in Launceston, there's only kind of one barbecue joint really and um yeah and uh and, and then as you head along the coast sort of um towards the west coast there's not really much anything going on there so uh it's it's uh yeah, i guess it's like a, a small population spread out over a reasonably large area so uh, getting the word around is is difficult but it is what it is, you know. Like it's uh, it's always good good fun watching people try smoked chicken for the first time, going wow. So yeah, I'm happy to do it. 
For the listeners out there, can you give us an idea of where you are geographically at the moment? Oh, that's tough. Uh, in the middle of nowhere. Is that easy? <laughs> um, we live in a place called Mangana, uh, which is, I guess, the easiest way to describe it would be for people who sort of have travelled, say, long distance of Bishino, something like that. Um, you sort of pass through a town called Fingal, which is approximately halfway, I guess, from Launceston to Bishino, and uh, about sort of twenty k outside of that is uh, is where we live. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, as I, as I was saying earlier, our nearest neighbour is approximately twenty five kilometres away. So. We, we actually live in the middle of nowhere. The town Mangana itself is popular. I think about 25. 25 people. And uh, Fingal, uh, so, uh, you know, yeah, I think that's approximately correct. And uh, Fingal, about 250 there or thereabouts. Oh, wow. So how many kilometres are you away from, say, uh, Launceston? I'm assuming Launceston would be your closest city? Yeah, yeah, about, uh, I think, about 160-odd. Wow. <laughs> All right. So um, there's something I have to know. Your, your team name is Rowan Slow, and I know that your brother is in your team, so obviously you're the Row. Does that make him the Slow? Most of the time, yeah, no, it's it's just a play on words. Obviously, the cooking style is low and slow, so uh, where you know, my actually my little brother did actually come up with it. He was just on the phone before we were going to the Creekside comp last year, and he's, he was saying, "Oh, what are you doing about a, a team name?" And uh, I said, "Oh, mate, that's the least of my worries for now." Yeah, and uh, he said, "What about Rowan Slow? Because you're Rowan." Um, it's a good play on words for low and slow. And I just went, yeah, yeah, that'll do, mate. That's good. And uh, we just kind of stuck with it, yeah. So, uh, so it's 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 good, but you know, it's it's people just go, well, but you know, they <laughs> be, be something that was instantly recognisable. But it doesn't really matter, you know. It's just it's just a barbecue team name for us, at any rate. So, so yeah, but. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he sort of chimes in. He, he, difficult. He sort of chimes in with barbecue competitions where he can and helps out and that. But um, he's not overly interested in barbecue and the process yet. He surely likes to eat it. But in saying that, he's just more interested in being part of the team and, you know, mucking in with the setting up and packing up and all that kind of stuff, really. And, yeah, I have made him actually um, uh, prep some pork shoulders at competitions before. So, uh, and he's, he's actually quite good at it because he's quite meticulous. So, uh, so yeah, he does quite a good job, really. But, uh, but in saying that, yeah, he's just, you know, just dragging him along for the hell of it. So, uh, that's how it works, yeah. That's, that's how the name came about. Awesome. Now, most teams build a reputation as competitors and then use that reputation to drive business to a catering or bricks and mortar gig. But you've actually done it the other way around. You've started a business to support your barbecue team. Can you tell us how this came about and how the setup works? Yeah, it's not really a business. It's it's in Fingal, which is, as we were just saying, was the population of 250 people. So it's really, it came about because a friend of ours in Fingal, he, uh, he had a cafe basically that wasn't being used. And um, 
he just gave it to us dirt cheap and said, if, just use it. And uh, I said, yeah, fair enough. And uh, so the reason for doing that was because essentially, like in competitions, you know, trying to establish certain sort of flavour profiles, you know, as a, as, a, as a new team as such, you, you kind of scratch your head because obviously, well, seemingly, there's regional sort of flavour profiles that suit better. And um, from, from what I've sort of learned, that seems to be the way forward at any rate. But in saying that, uh, yeah, the, 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 the barbecue joint really just came about as a, as a way to experiment, create, get feedback from people. You know, if you're given free barbecue away, everyone says it's wonderful. Of course they do, you know. But if people are actually paying for it, you know, well, they're going to give you honest feedback. So, so yeah, it's, it's been a good little vehicle also to promote low and slow, um, mm. you know, in our area. So uh, by way of actually the, the so-called business, we've actually um, conned a few people into having a barbecue team. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so slowly but surely, yeah, it's, it's, it's worked quite well. Actually, just to sort of create, you know, like let's say for beef, for example, and you do it at home. So you go out and buy a brisket and you spend maybe like 80 bucks, something like that, on your brisket, and you try this new rub, right? You try it on that rub and you spend eight to 10 hours cooking that brisket and you're not quite happy with the rub. So if you're at home, what do you do? You know, you don't go out the next day and spend another 80 bucks on another brisket, tweak the rub, spend another 10 hours and cook it, and what if you should decide at that point that you're not happy? You know, it's just a constant process, whereas at the shop, we can try a rub, stick it on the beef, uh, sell it, get feedback, try it, and then tweak it the next day, and that I would think was a good beef rub. The purpose of the shop was, as I was saying, was to create you know, flavour profiles we know are going to be successful. And if you're doing that at home, it's difficult. It, it, it might be a sort of three-month process because you're just not cooking that much that often. Whereas at the shop, you know, you're knocking out briskets or would suddenly open over the weekend, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So on a Friday, I can make a new beef rub, try it out. If I don't like it, tweak it, try it again on Saturday. If I'm still unhappy with it, I can perfect it by Sunday and have have a perfect barbecue rub for beef that I'm happy with. Whereas if I was to do that at home, that would probably be a process of six weeks, something like that, because I just wouldn't, wouldn't be viable to go out and buy, you know, a brisket, like $240 worth of brisket and spend 30 hours. So, yeah, that's the point of the shop. It's... it's uh, you know, we don't really, we don't make money. That's 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 for sure. And uh, yeah, and, and and I'd rather just see people eating good quality barbecue and spreading the word around Tasmania. And uh, and yeah, I guess there is a little bit of a selfish motivation there because the more popular the movement gets here, it means that there is more competitions here, and it means that I don't have to spend thousands of dollars crossing that stretch of water to get to competition. Yeah, well, that's. So, um... If that happens, the win-win. Yeah, for sure, yeah. That actually leads me up to my next question there. Um, so my understanding is that there's yet to be a sanctioned competition in Tasmania. Have I got that right? 
Yeah, so far, yeah. Right. So when I, uh, so you've got to come across to the mainland if, if you want to compete in a sanctioned comp. And so when I think about you coming to the mainland, I imagine an offset with some pontoons and an outrigger strapped to it and a bed sheet on a broomstick stuck down the chimney for a sail. Um, so what's involved in, uh, in getting all your gear across the ditch? It's basically packing up the ute, driving to Devonport, getting on the boat overnight, driving to the comp and competing and then reverse. But, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of the bullet point process of it. But it's it, in reality, it's a logistical nightmare because um, if you take a trailer, it becomes massively expensive. So we try and pack up a couple of offsets on the back of the dual cab ute normally. Um, and then you've got height limitations with getting on the boat. So nine times out of ten, you've probably got to take your stacks off just to get under the 2.1 metres. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy, man, you know, getting across there really. And the boat is harsh. Like I, I, I personally don't like it and, uh, you know, and, and it's expensive. So, yeah, but what do you do, mate? Like it's the only way of getting across the water and, you know, not a, I think it's just ridiculous the expense of it, but, hey, it is what it is. But, yeah, not quite, a, not quite offset with pontoons and a sail, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's called the Spirit of Tasmania, unfortunately. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely it's tough. But in saying that, I think it's it's fair to say that anyone who's competed in a barbecue competition understands and knows that you know it's it's a logistical nightmare. It doesn't matter where you're going, where you're coming from, what you're doing. You know, there's a lot of planning involved, and you got to make sure you've got all the standard equipment to compete. Uh, you know, so yeah, I think. You know, we, yeah, fair enough, we make the effort. But in saying that, I don't think it's any more effort than other teams make in reality, you know. Some dudes drive four days. Boyd from Sandgroper in WA, he drove four days across the Nullarbor to get to Creekside. You know, that's that's an effort. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The the Nullarbor is a, it is a bit of a harsh trip from uh, from what I've heard. So what's the furthest you've you've travelled for a comp and how much did that set you back? Well, the furthest I've actually travelled would have been Port Mac, but in saying that, um, I wasn't actually competing as Rowan Slow there. I was just helping out a mate, and um, yeah, and we just kind of flew up there. So, like, that wasn't too expensive that time around. I think all in all, the most expensive potentially would have been Canberra um, back in December, because uh, yeah, the additional fuel cost of getting you know an overloaded double cab Ute from Melbourne to Canberra. And uh, to top it all off, about two hours outside of Canberra, we blew a radiator hose. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, so had, had to spend, you know, the money to get it fixed on the spot. So that made it more expensive. And because uh, it was my ute, you kind of had to absorb the cost of that. You can't really put that on the fellas, can you? Mm. So, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Canberra. Canberra would have been the most expensive. And the furthest would have been Port Macquarie. Yeah. All right, and and how did you go at the at the Canberra comp? Yeah, not too bad. Like, uh, yeah, I was I was actually thinking about results and stuff, and why we haven't sort of had any good results. And uh, yeah, and it's 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 kind of interesting because you've got, you've got to put it all together on the day, and 
interesting about the, the, the team questions as well that, uh, that you had. And, and, yeah, I was definitely thinking that, you know, that once if the team gels and all comes together and everyone does what they're supposed to do, you can definitely get results. But, uh, you know, I guess it's the old saying, you're only as strong as your weakest link, you know, chain. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, we got weaked out first in land at, uh, at Canberra, which wasn't too bad. And uh, and fourth on, uh, I think we were fourth, I think, in beef. And, uh, and they had a little um, a side challenge, uh, which was Rue, Rue backstraps they chucked at us. And, uh, and I think we did, uh, we came second on them or something like that. So Canberra was probably one of our best comps, but interesting variables. We were, we were cooking on a uh, Texas Pro Pit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, like, uh, kind of had, had, had to figure out how that worked and the tuning plates and the little idiosyncrasy, idiosyncrasies of the, uh, of the offset itself. And, and, yeah, and as usual, got greedy and stacked it full of meat, you know. So I think we did two briskets, two shoulders, like braxy ribs and four carpets and just bananas. So uh, it was just jam-packed full. So, yeah, it was a bit of, bit of hard work. But, you know, this is, this is what I was saying before, you know, it's just about coming together on the day and getting it all right. And certainly if you have a, a well-oiled team, it goes a long way to, to making that happen. So, yeah. Yeah, you've you've mentioned the cost of uh, of the spirit of Tasmania. What does it cost you to bring all your gear across the channel and back? Well, um, we just did Creekside, and uh, I got a quote to take the car, um, the trailer, uh, and effectively, yeah, four of us returned because I, I did Creekside with the family, and it was eighteen hundred bucks return. Wow. Wow, so that's that's eighteen hundred so, bucks before uh, you even hit the mainland. Yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a big commitment. I I think it's pretty fair to say that if you're travelling back and forth across the ditch to compete, I'm just going to throw it out there and say that you're perhaps the most committed team in Australia. So, what is it about barbecue that makes you so wildly committed to it? Uh, I think well, the barbecue competitions itself, like. I like doing them because in reality here, I don't really have anyone to sort of bounce off with regard to barbecue, uh, especially at the skill level of the barbecue competition guys. Mm. So, um, so it's, so from, for me really, like it's not so much about winning or losing. Clearly, you know, we don't win too much, fair enough, whatever. But then again, we don't like, you know, lose, you know, we have ups and downs, whatever, whatever, but we're always sort of midstream. And uh, in saying that, yeah, it's just it's just one of those things, really. Like you, you know, to be the best, you've got to beat the best. And you know, the best aren't in Tasmania, man. That's all there is to it. So to get better and perfect the craft as such, you know, who better to bounce off than Australia's best barbecuers? So I wouldn't say we were the most committed team, though, mate. There's, you know, like as I was saying before. Teams make huge efforts. I remember Creekside last year, um, the Boulevard Barbecue crew. They they drove down from Queensland to Creekside like four days. You know that's a huge yeah, effort. And as I said before, Boyd the You know, again, that was probably a better part of three and a half, four days, I guess. So uh, so yeah, I think everyone who competes in competition barbecue in Australia 
makes a huge commitment to do it because it is like the, you know a tough thing to do to get there set up cook whatever five six proteins in the space of 18 hours you know to 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 a very very high level and uh, obviously then you know pack up as well as socialize interact with the public answer questions about low and slow da, da, da. all that kind of stuff deal with the variables of you know being in the location what the weather's doing at that point in time massive commitment so uh so yeah i think realistically everyone on the circuit who who does compete they know how tough it is and yeah okay whatever you know we may spend a little bit more than other teams but you know like i don't play golf and uh you know, I don't do that kind of stuff. So you've got to have a hobby in life. So, you know, like having a hobby absorbs money. I'm, I'm happy for it to be barbecue. Yeah, my uh, my wife wishes I'd take up a uh, less expensive hobby like, uh, you know, uh, raising racehorses or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, my wife's a vegetarian. So do you think she understands what I do? <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> my two, my two girls are as well. My two daughters. Right. So, so you really don't don't get much feedback then. You're you're pretty no, not on the meat. Just, just cooking barbecue for yourself out there. Just the meat, yeah. But I also like um, smoke up all sorts of vegetables for them, and um, you know, do damper and that on the smoker as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they love all that stuff, you know. Well, I've smoked tofu as well, by the way. Oh, tofu, yeah. Yep. Yep. What was the other one? Did you say? Um, did you say marrow? Marrow. Okay. Yeah, I smoked up. I smoked up some marrow, which normally I find highly offensive, but uh, but it was actually quite nice from the offset. So uh, so yeah, but that and tofu are probably probably the uh, the, the strengths as far as vegetarian dishes go. So, uh, but everything, I find a lot of things actually smoke up well. A lot of vegetables smoke up well. It's just, yeah, just just having a go, really. Like the old portobello mushroom, they love that. Actually, my wife stole my um, my lamb marinade and she dresses the, um, which is, you know, meat-free, but she dresses the uh, portobello mushrooms in the lamb marinade and smoke them up. She really likes them. So, uh, oh, that's so yeah, it's good. What was that, sorry? I just said that's a really nice idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it's not always, you know, just meat. Fair enough for me, it is. But uh, if I was to have my choice, I'd probably be cooking beef most of the time. Anyway, I, I really like beef. That's that's uh, that's my weakness. There's uh, definitely some worse weaknesses to have, mate. True, true. Tell that to my waistline. You're listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with barbecue pitmaster. Ben Arnott. Alrighty, so what we're here to talk about today with you, Rowan, is um, teams and teamwork. We're going to get some uh, some insights into uh, into how a team should be put together, how you put your team together, how it works, and and your thoughts and ideas on that. So, uh, first cab off the rank is how many team members do you have, and what are their backgrounds? At the moment, I've actually changed it up. I've um, gone to the old husband and wife format. And, uh, yeah, that's predominantly because uh, leaving the kids behind was problematic, realistically, at the uh, comp we did in January. 
you know, I had the old three, three-year-old on the phone crying, you know, come home, dad, this, that, and the other. And I kind of thought, well, look, in reality, if the other guys want to, you know, sort themselves out of team, then they can, you know. So, uh, so yeah, so I kind of disbanded the original team and, uh, and yeah, now, now it's just husband and wife. So, uh, but, um, yeah, we just did Creekside as a husband and wife. And, uh, let me tell you, having your kids around is probably more problematic than having drunken teammates around. That's for sure. (laughs) They do tend to wander off, don't they? Yeah. Well, about 10 minutes to, uh, I think it was rib hand in at uh, Creekside. The three-year-old daughter insisted I take her to the toilet. I tried to palm her off to her mum. No. Tried to palm her off to the grandmother. No. So there's me running my daughter to the toilet with 10 minutes to go to hand in, running back and then boxing up ribs, obviously washing my hands and uh, boxing up ribs and, and, and getting it back. So, yeah, so it was, it was pretty crazy. But, uh, yeah, originally there was four of us. Yeah, my son loves to come to the competitions as well, and I've got to really keep an eye on him because he'll grab a stack of business cards and just start wandering off through the crowd. And he's he's only four years old, and he walks up to people and goes, barbecue ticket, barbecue ticket, barbecue ticket, yeah. and he hands out yeah, all the business right. cards. And, and then people keep yeah. turning up at my tent going, hey, some some kid gave me a ticket for some barbecue. I'm like, oh, um, yeah, we're not actually allowed to do that. Um he just grabs the cards and, and, and disappears. I'm really sorry about that. So I've, it's, it's actually led to some pretty awkward conversations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know how it goes. But, yeah, it's good. It's, oh, mate, i got to tell you, like, uh, yeah, I stuffed up the beef at Creekside and it was all going wrong, you know. It kind of really put me off. And, you know, obviously fatigue plays a big game at the end of it when you're, when you're trying to box up and uh, it didn't really help. That yeah, the, the beef was playing up, and uh, yeah, when the three year old daughter sort of came up and what's wrong, dad? What's wrong? I thought, you know, I, tell her, I said, look, nothing's wrong, you know, like at the end of the day, it's only barbecue, you know, she's more important. So, yeah, it was, it was really nice having them there from that perspective because she just kind of reminded me that it's not life and death here, you know, there's me sweating it down to the wire, you know, and uh. So yeah, that that was good from that perspective. I was happy to have her there for that for sure. Yeah, it's a it's a good learning experience for them too. All right, so your your team of four. Um, yeah. How long had you been competing together? No, we just started uh, came together. We were sort of smoking. There was originally um, like three of us in the country, and we were sort of smoking stuff up pretty regularly. And uh, it was just kind of yeah, we were just doing it socially, getting together and uh, having a few beers and, yeah, just cooking whatever was there, really. You know, like uh, we used to get uh, what we call dinosaur ribs. They're huge beef ribs. They weren't like the beef shorties or anything, but there was very little meat on them, but they were, you know, some of them about like eight inches long. But they were great. And uh, so we'd smoke them up and, uh, you know, I just kind of said to those guys, like, what do you reckon? Let's just have a crack. Like, why not, you know? And uh, I think for them originally, it was more about just having a holiday, you know. I think the order was obviously party, you know, drink, socialise, barbecue, in that order probably. So, and that's kind of fair enough as well because if you're asking someone to lay out 750 bucks 
to go to a barbecue competition, it's got to be worth it for them. Yeah, really. yeah. And if they're not that interested in barbecue, then it is what it is. But yeah, so it's, it's just one of those things. But yeah, no, originally we were mates, just, you know, barbecue and stuff and thought we'd have a go. And uh, that's how it all sort of came about, really. Mm, okay, so what uh, tips would you have for new competitors um, looking to put a team together? So I guess what I'm asking for is uh, what should new competitors look for in a teammate? I think in reality, you, you've got to be real mates because you've got to have the ability to offer your teammates constructive criticism without there being confrontation because food is a very, very touchy area and a lot of people take a lot of pride in their food and I think, you know, as the pit boss as such, which if you're looking to form a team and looking for team members, that's what you are. As the pit boss, if you can't turn around and go, no, I don't like that sauce or that's too hot or, you know, whatever, without there being problems, then, then yeah, then there is issues. So I'd say first and foremost, make sure they're very, very good friends, you know, because definitely your friendship will be tested, especially when you're talking about staying awake for long periods of time and there's alcohol involved and there's stress, pressure, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, you want to make sure if you are putting together a team that, 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 that they're good mates for sure. Awesome advice there. Uh, my own team, Smoking Hot Confessions, has a different makeup every time we compete. Um, the upside of this is that I maintain full creative control of the team, but the downside is that I often compete with team members that are not as experienced as myself. Do you recommend that people form a team of regular team members or be more flexible and have a bit of a gypsy team? I guess it depends what you're going into barbecue competitions for. You know, if if you're dead serious and you want to win, then there's really no different difference in barbecue competitions to footy or cricket or anything like that. So, you know, your team's got to be well-oiled and fully functional to get the results. However, if you just go and have a crack, a bit of a social thing, you know, as I mentioned before, potentially treat it as a holiday as well for the family, things like that, then the whole gypsy team thing is not particularly relevant. But if you want to win, I definitely wouldn't go with gypsy members. I definitely go with a crew that you know, a crew that you can work with and, you know, that that, that are a well-oiled unit that can operate well. And, and if you do that, you know, there should be no reason why why you're not winning realistically. I mean, from what I can see looking from the outside in, certainly the top crews in Australia, they seem to, like, uh, have a mutual understanding and uh, they seem to work well as teams. So uh, it's it's definitely important, you know, that, uh, that yeah, that everyone is, is serious about it. It's a, it's a huge commitment, as we discussed earlier. So, yeah, for you know, sure. gypsies don't necessarily have the commitment that, you know, that the, the pit boss does. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. So in your opinion, should team members specialise or generalise? So by that I mean, should everybody cross-train in all meets and all skills? Or do you reckon some certain team members uh, become experts in certain areas and why? 
No, I think if you've got a team, you know, all, all, the, all the team members should be cross-training as such. Predominantly from a creative perspective, I think, you know, um, you can be sort of too, you have your blinkers on as such if you're just cooking one thing the whole time. And uh, obviously everyone's got a little different spin. You are cooking barbecue effectively for the general public who, who are judging. So you've got to produce a product that is acceptable to everyone and not offensive to anyone. So um, in saying that, yeah, I think everyone should cross-train and that way it keeps everyone honest. If, if you've just got one guy on beef knocking out beef, there's no innovation really there. And I think in the current, you know, uh, where we're at in Australia with, with uh, barbecue competitions at the moment, there's a lot of innovation. So you really need to stay sharp from that perspective. So I think if everyone cross-trains, it will keep everyone honest. So and it doesn't hurt to have, you know, if you're there to win, it doesn't really matter who makes a better sauce or who makes a better rub or whatever, whatever, whatever. You know, like if you're there to win, it's your sauces. Again, it doesn't matter who, who on your team made it as long as it's a team product and the team's winning. How often should team members get together and practice? Should team members practice under competition conditions or is that taking things a bit too far? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think you really need to practice under sort of team conditions as such. I, I would say you need to um, practice the team recipe because in saying that, you know, that's what you're putting in, that's what you're handing in. You want to make sure that on the day, you know, you can do it blindfolded. You don't want to sort of be rocking up and, oh, what about this, what about that? You know, you just want to rock up, do your thing, keep it simple and crack on. So I don't think necessarily um, practising under, like, timed conditions is necessary. I think practising, yeah, the, the, the box hand in is, is good and practising as well. Um, Appearance of your box is also good because, uh, you know, there's several variables when you're doing that, if, you know, what cut you're doing, et cetera, et cetera, you know, different presentation styles. So it's good to have one on the day because you don't want to be there with like five minutes, whatever, left to go thinking, how am I going to present this box? You want to basically get it, whack it in there, get it to the judges, know exactly what you're doing. Um, as far as practising together as a, as a team, I mean, yeah, why not? Like, effectively, if your team are your mates, there's nothing wrong with getting together and, you know, and cooking up some barbecue with your mates and, you know, call it practice if you want. But, uh, but yeah, again, I would expect if you're good mates and you're on a team, you're doing that at any rate, you know, you cook So uh, I just say if, if anyone wanted any real advice who hadn't, you know, uh, cooked in competitions before. Now, we cook, uh, let's say, for argument's sake, ribs. As you know, ribs vary in cook times and temps. Say pork ribs, for example, you know, some of the ribs we get in Australia, they might not hold out to the full 3-2-1 method. So you need to really understand the size of your ribs and whether they're going to make it through like six hours of smoking. And if your recipe says, nah, I'm going to do baby, I do baby backs, that's my thing, and there's not much meat on them, and I think I can sort of pump them out in five hours to temp correctly, then in reality, all you have to do is work five hours back from your hand in time. 
that's all you have to do. You know, I've seen like, well, like very experienced competitors, obviously, as you know, you've probably seen it yourself. Um, you know, you go around their tents and they've got schedules and uh, some people got notebooks. They write it all down, work backward. This is what time I've got to prep the brisket, et cetera, et cetera, all the way through. So uh, the only sort of thing I take away from practicing is, is know your cook time. If it's your first go at a competition, uh, just know your cook time and work back from there. That's probably the easiest thing to do. And write it down because uh, when fatigue kicks in, you'll forget all of that. Very nice. Very nice. Um, so my next question then is, is about logistics. So earlier I explained the way my team works, which means that all the gear is mine, lives at my house, and it's essentially my responsibility to move it from place to place. Um, how do you recommend competitors divvy up the storage and transportation of gear? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one, really. I mean, yeah, look, I, I, the way I worked it originally was um, – I would basically absorb all the costs of everything. And uh, we originally we took across uh, Mates Weber and one, yeah, I think it was actually two two of my offsets. Yeah, two of my offsets. And uh, so we use them like barbecue and um, smokers and uh, his Weber and stuff like that. But as far as the travel expenses and petrol and cost of purchasing meat and supplies and everything else that goes along with it, we would split it down the line, basically. So, uh, so yeah. And again, that would fall back on me. I'd pay for everything, and then I'd get the money off of them later. So, uh, but I don't know how how people work it out. It's a tough call, really. You know, if you if you've got your gypsy team, what do you do? You know, like if you've got the serious committed team of four, everyone's in it for the same reason, they want to win, then no one's really fussed about the expense. But if you've got the gypsy team, you can't exactly turn around and go, that'll be, well, from Tasmania, that'll be $750 per team member. Um, and they were just there to, you know, have a drink and have a bit of a laugh or, you know, if they're a gypsy and they're from the area in which you're competing in and they're not necessarily responsible for the bulk of the travel costs, related to getting there you know that can be another variable but uh yeah look it falls back on what i said before if i was to give you any advice have you know good friends as your team members and uh obviously have everyone preferably if everyone's committed to the same level then the financial thing shouldn't really be an issue this segment is proudly sponsored by coastline barbecues and heating With stores in Oxenford, Southport and the Tweed, they are the Gold Coast's only Weber specialist. Alrighty, Rowan, it's time to move on now to our listener questions. Matt is here with us today and I've got four other questions that have been sent in. Unfortunately, they couldn't make it today. So I'll read them out first and then we'll jump on over to Matt. And then at the end of that, you'll pick which one you think is the best and they will win our sponsored gift voucher prize from Coastline Barbecues. So the first question is from Alan. Alan wants to know how difficult is it to plan and coordinate to get yourself to comps and how many days do you need to add on extra just for travel? Very difficult in reality. Um, Yeah, I think normally the format is is I could probably spend, I guess, kind of like a day, um, you know, just making sure everything's in order as far as, you know, uh, travel tickets and all the breakdown of the competition you're going to and have you got all the equipment and all of that. And then there's probably another day or so 
um, packing all that stuff up onto the ute, making sure the barbecues are clean because when we come back, um, you know, we've got customs to come through um, from Tasmania. So, uh, you know, making sure all the things are easily accessible when we cross the boat, for example, we have to declare the axe and the tomahawk because they're weapons. Well, not weapons, but they're tools, but can be perceived as weapons. So uh, we've got to declare them and make sure they're easily accessible. We've got to make sure that the Cambros are accessible as well because sometimes we bring our meat across with us. And uh, so... So we've got to pack the ute in a specific way to make sure that all of that stuff can get to it. And uh, like the Cambros, you know, we've got to top them up with ice depending on how far we go, et cetera, et cetera. And you can't be sort of unpacking the ute just to get to them. So, so yeah, it's, it's really difficult. And then oh, it's probably another day by the time we sort of pick up in the old team format as far as the four-guy format, go and pick up all the guys and then drive to Devonport. That's probably easily another day out there. And then it's overnight on the boat. And depending on where the competition is, um, you know, is virtually to take you out for another day. So, yeah, more or less, I guess, like coming from Tasmania, we've probably got about sort of three days, probably either side of a competition. So, yeah. Wow. So three days either side. So you've got three days lead up, maybe two days at the competition and then three days home again. So like an eight days to do one comp. Yeah, pretty much. That's what we just did Creekside and we flew over for that. And uh, yeah, that was seven, seven days. I think we left, yeah, we left on the Wednesday and came back on the Tuesday or more or less seven days. So yeah. Wow. So can I ask what you do for work? Like how do you get the time off work to be able to spend so much time on going to barbecue competitions? Builder. And uh, at the moment I've, I've actually been a bit slack. I've been down to Hobart pretty much because the money's good and it's, it's not too difficult work. So, uh, so yeah, I just pick it up and, and take it really. And then the rest of the time, well, is spent on the farm. You know, there's a lot of stuff to do here. So uh, between, between that, the farm, the kids and uh, and the and the shop. Yeah, it's pretty hectic at the moment. <laughs> and one other question that I had, I, I just picked up off something that that you said. You said you have to go through customs. Yeah, even that's though, fun. No, even though Tasmania is a, is a state of Australia, you've still got to go through customs as if it was an international visit. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much on the way out. You know, they'll they'll check you for obviously. You know, anything illegal, if you've got firearms, et cetera, et cetera, you've got to declare them. There's a lot of people who go back and forth to Tasmania who've got firearms. Um, yeah, coming back from the mainland, um, we, uh, yeah, we get checked for food because we can't take the bulk of the food products, which you can imagine for us is a nightmare because we've got two offsets stinking of meat. And uh, last time we went through, actually, I was just – Actually, the last two times, I was just kind of that over it because we wrap everything up in a tarp, of course. You know, if we're traveling, we don't want everything to get wet. And uh, and the tarp is usually, and all the equipment is usually held down by, you know, four to six ratchet straps. So uh, we pulled up at Customs coming out of Melbourne this one time and uh, there was about 10 cars behind us. And this one guy um, was walking around the ute you know, you got any fish, you got any firearms, this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, nah, mate, nah, I've just got the tomahawk and the axe. 
And, uh, oh, okay, you got to declare them, fair enough. And he's got, oh, you're going to have to take all the tarps and the rat. I'm going to have to look through your stuff. And I looked at the cure people and turned around to him and I said, mate, I said, if you want me to do that, we're going to be here for a better part of three quarters of an hour. And I said, you really want to do that with that queue of traffic behind you? And he looked at the queue and he went, right, mate, get going, you know. So, uh, so yeah, because it's just, it's, it's painful. And then when we came back the last time, it was the same thing. Like the guy could clearly see the offsets, see the Cambros, you know, see that we basically had, like I sold him on the idea it was just camping year. And uh, when he was asking what all the sort of food stuff was, I said we were travelling barman. We go over and do cocktail shows on the mainland. This is all relative to like uh, no food, mate, no food stuff, nothing relative to food at all. It's just all alcohol related. We camp out, you know, that's why the camping gear is there. So, uh, yeah, we do travelling shows. Oh, yeah, go great, fellas. Off you go. (laughs) The last thing you need, I'm telling you, after you've been in the mainland and you've done a competition and you're absolutely exhausted is unpacking your ute and repacking it at the wharf. That is the last thing you want. So, uh, so yeah, it is what it is. It's what we do. Has that ever actually happened where you've had to unpack everything at customs and then pack it all back on and, and then keep going? Oh, not so much as unpack because we keep the Cambros like easily accessible, like uh, the way we pack the year. Um, yeah. And, Oh, man, technically, technically, they could actually make me take the offsets off and pressure wash them before taking them back to Tasmania. And uh, I probably shouldn't be saying all of this stuff because now I'm going to be on the on the radar for them next time I'm coming <laughs> back. But, yeah, technically, they can actually make me take the offsets off and clean them before bringing them back to Tasmania, which is why I did the whole, the whole story because I needed that, that particular fish, firearms, weapons, any produce, and I'm like, nope, 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 and then you go fish, firearms, weapons, any produce, and I'm like, I just answered this question, man. No, no, fish, firearm, going, Jesus, you know. So when he started asking questions about what was in the ute, I was just like, yep. We've got to make this guy think the exact opposite of what we've been doing because he's going to kill me. He's just going to make me take all this stuff off and check it all out. So, uh, so yeah, so I told him we were bombing. I'm a bit concerned that you said that so many people are trying to bring firearms into Tasmania. Is that for hunting? Like is, is, is hunting a big thing yeah. in Tasmania? Yeah, of course. What do they hunt? Everything. Deer. Wallaby, if, you, if you've got the appropriate licences, you know, you can uh, what, shoot whatever you like, really. <laughs> That's a great uh, tourism slogan. Come to Tasmania, shoot what you like. <laughs> well, you've got an appropriate licence and there's seasons, you know, like uh, deer hunting is, is, is very popular in Tasmania and from what I gather, the, um, the population is, is, is over its... Um, average so you know i don't think it's problem shooting too many deers and i know from living on the farm you could kill 100 wallabies a day and it wouldn't affect it wouldn't be a problem wouldn't be a problem at all so but some of the i think off the top of my head um a couple of them uh i think one one particular breed of i think it's actually a kangaroo uh, the Eastern Grey, I think you, you're not allowed to shoot that at all. 
as far as I can remember. And uh, and I still think you have to have a permit to uh, to, to shoot wallabies and that. But on the whole, yeah, it's um, it's it's the done thing, definitely down here. I know lots of people that hunt regularly, regularly. And if I had the time and I didn't have two small kids, I'd be going with them. But I just haven't got the time to be doing it. Well, I'm glad to hear it's not the greatest game anyway. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, so the next question comes from Brett. Um, how did you and your teammates come together? Yeah, we kind of covered that. We were mates. Yeah, we did already, didn't we? Yeah. You know, broken up stuff, cracking on, yeah. All right, we'll move on to Jay's question. What's been your favourite competition so far and what's something about Australian barbecue right now that you think could be improved? I think your favourite competition would be Creekside, probably. <laughs> And uh, it probably would have been actually the first Creekside we did because we, we've done the two. And, uh, and I just say that because there was a certain aura about, you know, first time at a barbecue competition. And, and man, I tell you, like, I was actually sitting there the other day and uh, for some reason, like, I've got a pretty decent memory. And uh, I remember walking up my smoker's alley or what I call it at Creekside um, in year one. And opposite me was uh, Greg from the Pitbulls, and on the other side was Southern Boys Barbecue. And as you walk up the road, I'm pretty sure um, on the opposite side of them was uh, Smoking Barrel Barbecue, uh, Smoking Gun Barbecue, which are now regulators. And uh, then you had Dave from Hector's Smokehouse there, and you had um, Darren from Rub One Out, and he was originally just there with his son. And uh, and then it got a bit more serious as you got up the line. There was the Aussie Pitmaster boys there, and uh, Craig from Suck Knuckle Smokers. He was there as well. And uh, up the end, the Boulevard Barbecue and uh, Meat Sweats and Texas. I think that was probably the, the whole run of the teams. Just picturing picturing walk, and it's just crazy to see where those teams have gone from from there a year ago. And uh, so yeah, so like that 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 was probably my most favourite event because uh, a lot of us were in, in our first new smoking. I think it's fair to say that um, uh, Greg from the Pitbulls, Rub One Out, I think Smoking Gun, um, Sap Knuckle, Smoking Joint, uh, Hector Smokehouse. Uh, oh, sorry, Notorious Pig were there as well, and I think that was their first comp as well. So there was like. Essentially, eight of the teams, or whatever, however, however many it was, was like first-time barbecue comp. So, um, so yeah. Whereas this year, when we went to Creekside, it was a lot bigger. And it was it was a lot more competitive. You know, there were some big names there, and there was uh, you know obviously the, there was um, Craig um, taking the uh, lead for the uh, the national points and all of that. So there was there was there was actually like pressure and stress for people, I guess. You know who. Was down to the wire. For, for me, it was just a normal like weekend away with the kids, where I was competing in a barbecue comp. Because yeah, I'm not. I haven't really got any. I haven't done three. No, that was my first ABA comp of the year, actually. So I wasn't going to make the uh, the three points. So uh, so it didn't really worry me. But definitely the first Creekside was the best for me. And what was the second half of that question again? The second half of the question is, uh, what's something that um, you'd like to see improved about Australian barbecue right now? Well, that's a tough question. Um, 
I think I'd probably like to see like us not following the Americans so much. And I know, I think I don't really see much kind of or hear much sort of banter orientated around an Australian style of low and slow anymore. Um, I think originally, like when the movement was pushing on, a lot of people were kind of, yeah, let's establish some Australian flavour profiles and we shouldn't just be sticking to the, you know, to what the Americans do, you know, whether you're rocking sort of sweet heat on your pork or whether you're rocking Texas-style brisket, just salt and pepper and this kind of stuff, you know. I think there's a lot of, a lot of yeah, I think the movement's kind of taken over and, uh, and that's kind of what we're sticking to. You know, I know down in Tasmania, to give you an example, uh, we have pepperberries. And, uh, and as an alternate to, uh, you know, using uh, cracked pepper on your Texas-style brisket, what, why can't we use, like, well, and I do sometimes when they're available, they're a bit pricey, but whatever. Um, but, yeah, why can't you use pepperberries, you know? Like, I think I think that sort of, yeah, that innovation is, it's still there, the innovation, but I seem to think we've sort of come in a little bit away from, you know, like making an Australian type low and slow and if there is such a thing and and I guess the other variable orientated around that is if it is will it be as good as the American style because yeah they've been at it for a long time and I guess you know most of their recipes the sauces the rubs all of this kind of stuff they've got it pretty much down pat but I'd still like to see yeah local products being used and uh and whether it be sauces or you know the produce itself, I still I'd still like to see some 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 kind of level of Australian influence in what we do. Hence, Australian top. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely think yeah, like we, we should be establishing our own flavour profiles by using our own produce what we produce in Australia. Awesome. All right. Anna would like to ask, um, have you noticed if there are favorite cuts or particular presentation box styles from state to state? I don't know about state to state as such, because it's hard to tell, you know, you enter a competition and you don't necessarily see what everyone handed in unless you were judging. So, um, so I don't necessarily know if there's a different state to state, I can definitely say that, you know, uh, per protein as such, there's, there's a difference, you know, like lamb is the obvious one, which people find controversial for want of a better word. But uh, in saying that, um, yeah, yeah, do you do do the old, uh, you know, pulled lamb or the cutlets, the old reverse cutlets, et cetera, et cetera. Because there's, you know, there's obviously arguments that, uh, you know, cutlets aren't necessarily low and slow. They might be hot and fast or whatever done over the grill. So uh, I think, but in saying that, cutlets have a tendency to do well in comps. So that's why people kind of opt for them. And uh, and yeah, like chicken, for example, um, chicken in itself. You know, do you do wings, lollipop, um, drums, you know, or thighs. <laughs> Etc. Etc. I think people tend to do the thighs because, uh, as a consumer, they're probably more acceptable to eat than you know than wings, for example. So uh, that's I'd say that's probably why competition barbecue teams themselves stick to specific cuts because the likelihood is it's going to get the best results and. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, I found that. I mean, I did wings at Creekside and uh, came 17th. And, uh, yeah, and I thought they were pretty good. But I didn't, to be honest, I didn't put much effort into them. I actually did the uh, the wings we serve at the shop. I just wanted to see how they'd go at a competition, how they'd fare. So I was pretty happy with 17th. But, yeah, what was it again? Sorry, man, I keep forgetting the second, these two problems questions. What was the second half of that one? Um. No, I, I think you hit both of them. We because um, you you answered the second part first, talking about the boxes and the fact that you don't see them at competitions unless you're judging. But the the important yeah. point there to to make just on top of that as well is that even if you are judging, you don't know whose whose boxes you've got anyway. So yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Being able to pin down a particular style of box from state to state, yeah, uh, you you wouldn't know. No, no. All right, well then I'll throw the mic over to Matthew now. And uh, it's his turn to put you on the grill. Awesome. All right, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today. And again, Ben, thanks thanks for you for letting me uh, have this opportunity. You're not getting the discount um, coupon. <laughs> so, look, mate, coming from Tasmania, and like I understand that um, some of the best produce in the world comes from Tasmania. How do you see? Um, the Australian barbecue scene and its popularity and, and the fact that we're gaining attention overseas as well. How do you see that impacting on um, local Australian produce and our ability to showcase it to the world? Yeah, it's kind of, that's a very, very, very big question. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of difficult because to begin with, the bulk of our, we'll say beef, for example, actually goes to the mainland straight away. And I think in the early days when I was actually pricing up briskets, we were actually paying more for Tasman, you know, Tas- I won't mention brand names, but we were actually paying more for Tasmanian beef than you guys on the mainland were. And that's simple economics, isn't it? Demand and supply. So, uh, and, and then you've got like little smaller producers who just distribute locally and there's enough to sort of, or, or, or maybe sort of ancillary to their core business. For example, dairy producers might be producing um, dairy milk and then selling, uh, you know, cattle to butchers just locally. And uh, I'll, I'll give you uh, a bit of an inside tip here. Where we live in the country, uh, the average uh, beast is broken for about five bucks fifty a kilo. So if you if you want to figure out what you pay for beef at the moment, you know that's the margins what they're making. And uh, yeah, so in in saying that, that's pretty standard across the board. So it's having an impact. What we do is most definitely having an impact on prices. Because, again, it's the demand and supply. And, you know, when you think, I don't know, what, what, what do you pay up in Queensland for brisket? Um, so I suppose for a Tasmanian one, I'll probably pay up to 15 16 even up to $18 a kilo. Yeah. Um, for a local one, I'll normally pay somewhere between, well, it depends. Costco is like 8 bucks. Um, but if I go to the local butchers and stuff, I'll generally pay about 10, between 10 and 13. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is pretty much what I'm getting it for. Anyway, I get the briskets for 10 bucks a kilo. So, um, but yeah. So, again, you know, like it's, it's the bulk of the produce is actually going 
out of Tasmania straight away before we even see it, you know. So um, there's there's actually farms down here that breed Wagyu and uh, it doesn't even reach the Australian market. It goes straight to Japan, not, not, not none of it at all. And uh, they got a massive operation with like boom gates and everything. You just can't get near them. So, but I think the popular the, 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 the problem of getting sort of regional producers uh, all together. I think that's like Australia wide in reality, you know. And I did see recently actually there's a digital farmers network coming online where the butchers are going to have the ability to sell direct to the consumer. So, uh, so I think you know. Portals like that effectively are what's going to drive, uh, you know, Australian produce to to the marketplace. If it's got to go through multiple sets of hands and you know middlemen are just hitting up fees and all of that, then then really it's it's just going to get distributed. But I did also see somebody that wasn't on that uh, that latest TV. I won't, again, I won't mention any names or anything, but that latest TV. Um, show they were saying that on average the, uh, the the average Australian eats something like 90 kilograms of barbecue a year uh, and we're second only to America so um, so yeah so it looks like we're potentially eating most of what we produce here as well so uh, so yeah but no nah, look man I think you know I think it's definitely like it's it's yeah, we've got to try and get the small small beef producers and the quality um, to market because, you know, you reach that certain point where if it's impossible to compete with the big guys, you know, their purchasing power and their money, it's, yeah, you just can't compete with them. And, uh, and in saying that, that's why you kind of, I mean, we had a, um, a sponsor early in the piece and uh, they produce Angus up the north of, of Tasmania, and they just point blank will not sell it under 17 bucks a kilo. That's it. You just can't buy it. That's, that's it. Even wholesale, forget about it. You know, it's just 17 bucks a kilo. And, uh, and it's 20. It's usually aged, fair enough. But, you know, even in saying that, I mean, I can get, like, low-grade Wagyu for that price. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. But hey, look, you know, not being a hater, you got to do what you got to do to keep your business going. And if if all they want to do is distribute to the local market at a premium price, you know, that's that's their thing. That's good. But uh, but yeah, no, I definitely think you know, buy local, go see your butcher, you know, and uh, yeah, just just don't support the supermarkets. <laughs> Sorry. Does that answer <laughs> your question, man? Yes, mate. Yeah, it does. Yeah, perfect. Alrighty. So I'll just recap on those uh, on what all those questions were before I ask you to pick the winner. So we had um, Alan with his question about planning and coordinating your trips to comps. We had yep. uh, Brett with his question about um, the origins of your team. Uh, Jay's question about the favourite comps and something that could be improved in the Australian scene. And Anna's question was about the uh, cuts and style boxes from state to state. And then that was that was the last question on the end there about the, the Tasmanian produce. So where would you, uh, where would you put that uh, Coastline Barbecues gift voucher, mate? I mean, yeah, look at Matt. He's the only one that turned up. <laughs> 
All righty. Congratulations, Matt. You've, uh, you've just got a gift voucher. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. All righty, Rowan, just before I let you go, mate, we've got two more things we need to do. My final question for you today is if you had three pieces of advice for first-time competition barbecue teams, what would they be? Uh, I think number one would be increase your credit card limit because it gets expensive. Um, number two would be, I guess, at, at the moment where we're at in competition barbecue is um, I'd say first off, if you're interested in it, go to a competition that's not too far away and, and have a crack and see what you think because there is a massive commitment financially, physically, logistically, you know, it doesn't matter where you're coming from, what you're doing, how you're getting there, you're basically going to a destination and setting up what is a temporary food business according to the local council. So just test the waters at first and see if, if you really want to do it, you know, and if it is your thing before you necessarily even commit to a full team, you know, just grab your mates, go down and have a crack and uh, and then after all, all is said and done, see if it's something you want to persist with because, yeah, it's becoming the scene in Australia at the moment, the barbecue competition scene is blowing up. And correct me if I'm wrong, you probably know better than me, Ben, but um, there's, what, 27 competitions already listed for uh, 2017? There's 25 already confirmed for 2017, but I was just talking to Adam yesterday and he's predicting 30 by the end of the year. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's a lot of competitions, which means if you're actually wanting to, you know, be on the circuit and uh, be a threat for the national title and clock up your three uh, sets of points and or compete in more so as to accumulate better scores, then, then yeah, you better be committed and you better have the money and you better have the time because it's... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lengthy process. And uh, I guess number three would be if you're going to take a team relative to what we were discussing before, you know, yeah, probably advise against the, the gypsy lineup as far as just, you know, ringers as such and, um, and bring your best game because the quality of competition barbecue at the moment is, is just top notch. You know, like there's, you've got the double barrel dudes with barbecue mafia coming first international overseas and, you know, you got uh, Craig from Suck Knuckle and Grant um, from Smoking Joint going over to America and uh, in that Weber comp and beating the Americans. You know, people are turning out top quality barbecue. And uh, and a lot of these guys are ex-chefs, by the way, which I didn't know, <laughs> which was pretty interesting. And, uh, yeah, like I was having, you know, Craig from Suck Knuckle Smokers, I was having a chat to him at Creekside recently. It was pretty funny. And, uh, yeah, I said, Craig, uh, what did you do before this barbecue malarkey? And he said, oh, I was a chef for 14 years. I went, okay. And he go, what about you, Ron? What do you do? I go, yeah, I'm a builder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah. So, so yeah, come have a crack first off if you like it and you want to make the commitment and you're pretty confident that you can compete, you know, at that level if that's what you're interested in. Um, yeah, get together a well-oiled team and, uh, and, and, and just go for it. Very nice. Thank you very much. All right. The last thing I'm going to do, I'm going to hand the mic over to you for a couple of minutes. Um, give any shout outs that you'd like to do and tell people where they can track you down on the interwebs. 
Yeah, I guess I've got a shout out to our sort of key sponsors, um, smokedandcured.com.au. They help us out and have done since day one. And um, they're on the mainland, which is awesome for us. They're in, they're in Melbourne, which means that by the time we get off the boat, we usually go over to see them, get our wood, whatever, whatever, and uh, crack onto the comps. But they've been massively, massively supportive, um, as have uh, Walkabout Four Drive in Hobart. Uh, Justin and his crew down there have been just, yeah, again, since day one. Um, who else have we got? Yeah, uh, Hunter's Cleaning Products in Tasmania. They've been a massive supporter of us and uh, and I'm thankful because they got this great product that's called Zap and uh, it's awesome for cleaning your barbecues. So, uh, you know, when you've got as many offsets as I've got, you need sponsors like that. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're great guys. Um, who else is there? Oof. Rowan and Anna Clark from Rupertswood Farm. They're our lamb sponsors. Uh, yeah, uh, Bram's Mobile Butcher. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of greats. The Tasmanian Honey Co. You know, company producing. Yeah, we use that on all our ribs. It's great stuff. So, yeah, but, yeah, it's just to everyone, really. We appreciate the support we get and uh, we hope to be... Uh, yeah, pushing the movement along down in Tasmania as much as possible and getting some traction down here. And hopefully a couple of you, you, you fellas from up north will come down and compete in our comps and uh, give us a run for our money. Sounds good to me. And where can people track you down on the, uh, on the internet, mate? Rowanslowbarbecue.com. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Rowan. You've given us uh, lots to think about and lots of, lots of lessons and advice in there. Um, so it's a big thank you from me and I will say thank you on behalf of all the listeners as well. No worries, mate. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips and Ben's own confessions. Confessions.